Welcome everybody to First Principles Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to all things related to environmental subjects, economic subjects, cultural subjects, phenomenon, and of course we're breaking it down from the ground up from First Principles. On today's episode, we will be discussing ESGs. You might have heard of this term recently. It's definitely becoming more and more prominent. And uh, we want to discuss it in uh, more detail on this episode. So what does ESG stand for? It is Environmental, Social, and Governance scores that a company may have, companies, institutions may adopt. And what these points represent is essentially how much certain companies are investing their resources, their time, their money into various uh, pools, various buckets. And those three buckets, again, are the buckets of environment, social stewardship, and governance. So that's just at a very high level what it's all about. Uh, but before we get into more details, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Elliot? Uh, from a broad level, ESGs, uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, ESGs to me are an economic policy. In, in a broad sense, they are, they are like the introduction of a carbon tax. They, they are a way of moving money uh, into different pots based on some sort of criteria. And I think it's important to outline that whenever you're dealing with an economic policy, you have to be very careful um, that you understand what the introduction of such a policy will have and this is very hard to do because the economic system, the real world economic system is very complex. And so I think from a high level, ESGs have some favorable aspects. I can understand why they've come into existence, um, but there remains some, well, more than some, I would say many unknowns about what exactly their introduction will have. And much like a carbon tax, which we've discussed in the past on this podcast, I suspect there are better ways, not perfect ways, because I don't think we can fully understand uh, how economic policies really will pan out ultimately. But there are probably better ways for ESGs to be introduced, uh, much like there's a better way for a carbon tax to be introduced. And then there are some ways, like a carbon tax, where if you introduce it just so wrong, it just has, there's no point to it. It's it's damaging, the, the, the upsides are very low compared to the to the consequences of it. So that would be my, my general thought on ESGs. So by the sounds of it, you're not uh, sold on ESGs. You're, you're kind of uh, skeptical, it seems. Always. always always okay okay all right well uh hopefully as we uh discuss it more in detail throughout this podcast we'll kind of flesh out some of those uh, criticisms in more detail and try to understand what it is specifically that um, rubs you the wrong way if 
uh, you want to put it that way. Uh, but let's reference uh, Investopedia because they are generally a good reference when it comes to economics and uh, commerce and definitions. And, of course, um, when it comes to environmental social governance, they do have an article on it. So I think let's uh, take a quick read on what it says. So environmental, social, and governance criteria are a set of standards for a company's operations that socially, that socially conscious investors use to screen potential investments. Environmental criteria consider how a company performs as a steward of nature. Social criteria examines how it manages relationships with employees, suppliers, customers, and the communities where it operates. Governance deals with a company's leadership, executive pay, audits, internal controls, and shareholder rights. So from that broad definition, you know, it sounds like a good thing, right? It sounds like it's essentially looking at accountability for companies to make them essentially more transparent with how they're investing into uh, environmental initiatives, uh, social initiatives, uh, you know, transparent governance. And I think that's all good. That's uh, on a surface level. That's good. And um, taking a step back and looking at the history of ESGs, I was reading how they actually originated sometime maybe in the 60s and 70s, but they weren't necessarily called ESGs back then, but rather they were just more so called uh, value-based invest investing or conscious-based investing. And again, it was at a time when people were maybe trying to avoid investments in companies that were, for example, uh, promulgating apartheid in South Africa, right? So you would think that values-based investing, you're invested, you, you don't, I mean, I wouldn't want to be investing in companies that are trying to promulgate apartheid in South Africa or something like that, right? So, at a historical level, you can see where the origins, perhaps, of the ESG movement, um, social, uh, socially conscious investing, where that you know does have some merits. And when you look at it through that lens, you can see that okay, this uh, I, I can get behind companies that are trying to operate in such a way, or maybe they're they're trying to operate in a way that that avoids uh, dealing with, for example. Um, uh, uh, warlords in war-torn African countries, right? Um, so that is to say that there are some good aspects of the origins of ESGs. And um, I think that's a, that's a common thread that you'll find when you are looking at these types of um, global narratives or global movements that they often do have some element of truth and some element of positivity. However, when you do look deeper into the matter, you start to uncover things that for lack of a better term, leave you second guessing um, where you do have a facade, you do have such a great story. Hey, we want to invest in companies that are more transparent. They're doing great about uh, the society. They care about the environment. Again, on the facade, sounds great. But as you go deeper, then you do start to question whether or not there is just a game that's being that's happening where we have uh, this new point system that allows companies to essentially manipulate the system and score things in their favor to perhaps 
if you want to be real cynical, artificially boost their um, their scores, their ESG scores to make investors believe as though they are making conscious decisions, which again, uh, historically speaking, maybe they once were. However, now, maybe that's not quite the case. So why do I say that? Well, uh, there there's a, a few um, bits of evidence that I have to to um, uh, th- that essentially have led me to, to this type of conclusion. So when it comes to ESGs, one way in which they are funded is through ETFs, right? Um, which are uh, uh, funds which essentially um, combine various companies within the index and you are able to invest into an index into a, a set of companies as opposed to just one and you have an ETF which has those ESG companies right so it's great it's you, you if you're an investment you're so uh, or sorry if you're an investor you're socially conscious like hey i want to find the the etfs make it simple right a lot of people they don't want to invest in individual stocks individual companies so they'd rather find a fund the fund is a bit more safe it's got a, a, an index of a few things so it just makes it more uh, palatable for a lot of people and on top of that, if you're going to brand it as an ETF that also has ESG favorable companies, then that's great. Perfect. I want to invest in that ETF with ESGs. So I looked into some of these companies. I looked into what I, I, some of these ETFs, essentially, I, I, I looked into, okay, what are these ETFs? And what are the ESG-based companies that they are investing in? So I, I, I want to before I read off this list, I, I'm curious, Elliot, when you think of companies that are investing in ESGs, and it's kind of like based off of where, um, as you uh, demonstrate your uh, as, as you demonstrate how you're meeting criteria, the environmental criteria, social criteria, the governance criteria, you, you get points, essentially. You get more points mm-hmm. uh, allocated, allocated towards you. So mm-hmm. if you were to think in your head, okay, this company, uh, you don't know what they do, but you, if you were to know that this company, had a certain company X has high scores in ESGs, what would you think, uh, uh, what companies would come to mind? I want to throw out maybe something like Tesla. Okay, Tesla. Okay, uh, Tesla. Right, right. We think of Tesla. Yeah, very eco-friendly. Right, uh, electric vehicles. And what else? What else? So social governance. Hmm. Big companies. Or it doesn't have to be like big, like names of companies, but like types of like what types of work would they be doing? Uh, maybe engineering. Maybe manufacturing. Um. Okay, engineering, manufacturing. So companies that are essentially ESGs, but like anything specific. Like if, if somebody was high in ESGs, like like this company is really high in ESGs, you just think engineering, manufacturing? Like if I, I were to tell you, yo, I have a company, they're fucking so high in their ESGs, they got mad points galore. You're just going to think of engineering and manufacturing? What are you going to think of, bro? Hmm. 
feel like this is a trick, this is a trick <laughs> question. This is a trick question because I feel like any there's so many companies <laughs> that could just bleed in ESGs into it, right? In, into their uh, into their into their principles into right. their pitch. So I don't know. There's not uh, like because there's like something like these big guys like Coca-Cola, Amazon, I just think those guys are going to try to get into the ESG game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that, that kind of goes to um, essentially where I was going with this, where essentially what's happening with these ESG funds is you have companies like um, Microsoft, uh, you have companies like Alphabet. So one of these ESG um uh, ETFs. I forget the name. Uh, I took a screenshot, but I forget the name of it. But um, essentially, the um, companies that they have holdings in for this ESG ETF include things like Microsoft Corporation, yeah, things like United Health Group, Visa, yeah. Home Depot, Mastercard, Bank of America, <laughs> um, AbV, which I looked up as a pharmaceutical company, and Alphabet, which owns Google. So Alphabet owns Google. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And and a bunch of other things. So that is to say that you, as an investor, could be investing in comp- in funds that you believe are supporting uh, environmental stewardship, environmental governance. And yet, what is happening is that these ETF ESGs are actually funneling the money to Microsoft Corporation, to Alphabet, to Home Depot, to Visa, MasterCard. It's like, and that's why I, I bring, I brought the question up. When you think of companies that are um, high in their environmental, social governments. Do you think of not big Visa? No, no. <laughs> do you I, think I, of uh, Alphabet, Google? Like I don't know, Nvidia. That's crazy. <laughs> it, it, it's bonkers because just going back to like the the premise of social uh, investments, right? The idea that as somebody has some money that I want to invest in um securities you're you're and 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 not just looking at it from a profitability standpoint you 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 look at what you have out there what these companies are doing and typically if you're really talking about um these topics uh they're not going to be the highest most profitable companies because of of the very nature of having to maintain um, higher standards in terms of uh, worker rights um, in the social aspects in the environmental, they'll have to spend more money on waste streams. Uh, so it's, it's almost always not in my head. It's not companies that are these massive giants um, that come to mind uh, at all as being, as being the real deal but you know and this goes into the deceptive nature of 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 these esgs and and a criticism which i've read online about them being used uh to greenwash things and definitely mislead investors investors that really do care about it but perhaps don't do enough research right and the 
and this comes back to the whole fact that there is no standard to really define what what it is to be an ESG and how and what kind of metrics they're using to uh, justify their ESG status. And that's a big problem. If you have no metrics, if you have no criteria that is well-established and and people can, can point to it and that type of transparency, then you're basically just creating or you're leveraging the good intentions of people with money to try to 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 make ethical changes through their through their investments and you're you're hijacking that with three letters yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. what i mean exactly it, it's yeah very deceptive where it's like oh yeah come and uh you care about uh, environmental social governance? Well, we have these uh, ETFs that have a bunch of companies that are focused right along that same way of thinking. Okay, great. Let me put my money where my mouth is and invest in these companies. Little did you know that you're actually investing in Microsoft. Little did you know you're actually investing in Google. Little did you know you're actually investing in pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, which may be great. That's If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But it's just like... It's a very, I go back to, yeah, like greenwashing and this deceptive game that's being played and taking advantage of people where essentially these big corporations, and um, this is really the crux of the matter, is that it's a new game that's being created where big corporations are essentially the ones that are going to be able to play it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you are a government, you have contracts. Right. And you can make a certain policy stating, you know what, we're only going to do work with companies that have a minimum ESG threshold of whatever. So you pick the ESG number and you say, hey, we're the government and we're going to do contracts with companies that have to do uh, that have minimum ESG score X. And what that does is creates this system where big government can get together with big corporations who now know the rules of the game and who now know how to essentially manipulate the points in their favor so that they can demonstrate, oh, look, we're the good guys. Look, we're following what the government told us to do and we have all these esg points to show it right and and they can come out on top meanwhile the smaller companies that are just trying to get their foot in the door this is what this does is just add a whole bunch of administrative burden to them because in order to compete with these companies, you now all of a sudden have to demonstrate how your ESG criteria is being met. So if you want to get those big contracts, you now are sucked into this game of uh, having to demonstrate, having to tally, having to uh, all, all this stuff, what your ESG points are. So if you're a newcomer to the game, you're essentially being boxed out. And again, we have big companies that get richer and big government that essentially feeds into those big corpora, those big corporations and they essentially start working hand in glove back and forth with one another. That is the ultimate problem as I see with uh, this whole ESG thing. That's interesting. And, and what you outlined there is, is something that, 
is not unheard of, very much not unheard of, but I, let's go break it down a bit and explain where this is coming from. So the idea is uh, governments, uh, in order to get work done, they contract out other companies in the private sector. And to obtain those companies, they need to basically write these requests for proposals, these RFPs, these these documents that say, we want, we need to now do this um, this work. Um, we expect these qualifications of the companies that are going to apply, and uh, please put together a proposal. We'll rank everybody's proposal, and you know the top one or the top three will be awarded the work, and they can go ahead and, and do the work. And this this the idea behind this right is to um, create a fair uh, a fairer. Uh, a way of obtaining work so that it's not always going to one company. There's an open bid and people can, uh, you know, uh, uh, have a chance to do work for the government and not just, it won't just be the same company over and over again, right? But the, the, the where it starts to fall apart is when you develop a, a request for a proposal that has this set of criteria that begins to really limit who can actually realistically uh, um, bid for this work, you are kind of destroying what the heart of what that was supposed to do. And, and it's already being done in terms of like how many years of experience or the size of the company. There's, there's these thir – now, and you go, okay – some criteria, you have to go uh, maybe case-by-case case basis. Some criteria, you can understand the justification for them. But my point being is, we, even without ESGs being introduced into this mix, there is this history of this being done that we you can point to, that these, these, these RFPs get drafted in such a way that will definitely favor a certain outcome. Right, nope. and this is just an addition, essentially, along that trend. It's essentially strengthening that trend where requirements are becoming more and more limiting and the companies that can meet them is becoming low, less and less, which is essentially, what, yeah, the, the, the crux of what I'm saying is uh, unfortunately going to happen and is happening and is just going to get worse, as I see it, with the adoption of these types of metrics. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to... Uh, zoom out again and and talk about um, the origins of ESGs in as as I see them. So we are in a point in history where the uh, narrative and concerns around climate change are 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 much higher than they have been, and they are more prevalent in our news. And there is a general sense out there that something needs to be done about climate change. And, and the key culprit in climate change uh, has been narrowed down to CO2. And so am amongst this narrative, there are uh, social pressures that arise because of um, if, if, you, if this, is, this is a threat and you're not doing something about it, then you are part of the problem. So there is the social pressure to show that you are uh, not part of the problem, that you are, you're helping with it. And the idea now is even 
the the layman, the it, someone who it has a career in something that has nothing to do with uh, understanding uh, climate change, understanding environmental topics. They have money and they need to invest. And so they go, what's the, you know, my advisor is telling me, you know, the best thing to do is to get into the ESGs companies. These are a hot thing. And they, they are. If you read all the articles, like in the last couple of years, these ESG things are taking off. People think, see the value in them and they go, okay, I, I don't want, I want to be, I want to be on that side of, of, uh, uh, of history, right? Type thing. So I will invest in ESGs. Um, but the ESG bundle, the environmental social governance, like I, I've said, is not well defined. And because of that, there is um, there is so much room for um, just screwy uh, uh, kind of conditions in, in defining an ESG company. And whether it's focusing on one of the letters more than the others, uh, it's um, or or even there's so much debate, as you know from this podcast, there's so much debate about what is a good solution for environmental problems that how can we even begin to make a decision on what is a good ESG company if we do not have clear a clear understanding of what that company is really trying to do. In our last podcast, we went in on sustainability and we really came to a conclusion that really when we talk about sustainability, it's really at the tail end of things. We really need to talk about um, the afterlife, the, the, the end of the, the, the grave aspect of a lot of, a lot of things. And, you know, if, if we feel this way about sustainability, then, you know, there is, how, how do we, how do we feel, how can we go and uh, feel good about putting money into a company that has a completely different idea about what it means to be sustainable, which is maybe limit mining completely or um, ESGs to me feel like a, a direct attack on oil and gas. Can, can oil and gas companies really ever be truly ESG based on this criteria? Or will there be specific companies that are going to be targeted out of investments by social pressures and financial pressures to to uh, because of people aligning themselves with ESGs? Will will well, let me ask you, do you think like uh, companies will be able, like an oil company will be able to be ESG friendly? Is that going to be a thing or do you think it's a tack on them? Well, that's actually what I wanted to also uh, get into a little bit. And this uh, article in Investopedia actually mentions uh, this um, Boston-based Trillium Asset Management, uh, which has about $4.8 billion under management. And as of September 2021, they use a selection of ESG factors to help identify companies positioned for strong long-term performance, right? So they are an investment uh, firm. They have $4.8 billion, and they've been investing with the ESG premise in mind, right? And uh, a couple of points uh, to what you were saying that really uh, helps uh, illuminate that uh, that idea is that essentially they're saying that um, they avoid so Trillium's ESG criteria include avoiding companies that operate in high risk areas or have exposure to coal or hard rock mining, nuclear or coal power 
private prisons, agricultural biotechnology, tobacco, tar sands, or weapons and firearms. So essentially, nuclear is out of the picture. Oil is out of the picture. Rock mining uh, out of the picture. Um, and then also uh, companies that have major or recent controversies with human rights, animal welfare, environmental concern, governance issues, or product safety. Um so it, it goes to show some of the ways of how the money is being spent with these giant investment firms and how it's essentially being manipulated where you would think something like nuclear would be considered good because when it comes to the environmental side of things, there you know, there's a huge benefit on GHGs, right? Mm. So when it comes to uh, the environment... Greenhouse gases. Yes, greenhouse gases. So the GHGs have been kind of um, picked as the single most important variable to um, climate change, which I don't agree with, but that is what the dogma has come to. Well, if that is the case, then nuclear should be, you would think, at or one of the things at the top of that list, because it's it's uh, it does not generate carbon dioxide during the process, right? Um, so that so nuclear isn't within that category of friendly companies. So just by that in itself, it kind of disinvalidates the um, ESG list. Um, and on top of that. One of the things that I want to talk about was um, just the- before, before we go to that next topic, I yeah, just yeah. want to say something in there. So it sounds to me that it sounds to me like if ESGs become a prominent uh, way to decide on where you're going to invest money, then those that control how the ESG scores um, are are established control um, where money goes because. All it would take is the change in uh, somebody giving a negative score for a nuclear plant versus a positive score for it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like you control the criteria that makes your ESG score higher or lower. And then that dictates where people invest their money because there won't be necessarily the same scrutiny. Like I really think for most people that are going to be investing in ESGs, they're just going to be looking at that score. They're not really going to be looking at what's under the hood. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, nuclear can be done, it can be seen as environmentally. Uh, Even oil production, it can, if the companies take steps to remediate their work, there could be opportunities, one would say, for ESG points. But I would say that your point about the problem with this is that ESGs aren't defined. Uh, I would say that that is actually a good thing because by defining them and adding these criteria, adding these points, that's what actually creates the game and system open for manipulation because then the the, the big companies, again, they have the money to throw into the, the resources for that type of stuff, they can say, oh, look, we're doing X, Y, Z, and that feeds into uh, environment, social governments like this, and now they have uh, th- this this advantage theoretically out of nowhere. Meanwhile, if it's undefined, then nobody can take care, take advantage of this uh, of these points that actually don't mean anything. Well, as I claim, they don't mean anything. Right, right, um, right. So... One of the things um, when it comes to the social side of things, um, so ESG, 
and uh, social is the S, of course. So uh, one of the things that the Investopedia article talks about is that you know we want to talk, we want to focus on companies that operate an ethical supply chain. Okay, sounds great. Uh, companies that support LGBTQ rights and encourages diversity. Okay. Uh, companies that has policies to protect against sexual misconduct. Okay, sounds good. And then pays fair wages. So it's really interesting the things that they focused on because it's kind of begs the question of how certain things such as supporting LGBTQ rights and encouraging diversity, how does that go towards a company's um, essentially goal, essentially objective? If, if a company is set to perform a task, set to perform a, 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 a job, right? It's, it's set to help people do something. I fail to see how enhancing points in some of these buckets is going to help the company achieve its task which to me is another one of the core errors with the esg premise and it ties into this whole idea of uh, shareholder capitalism versus stakeholder capitalism mm. and the the the, the the premise of stakeholder capitalism that like eh, there's more stakeholders you know there's people from the communities there's people from uh that that are impacted from projects that aren't just the shareholders of the company but they're stakeholders in the community and we need to shift capitalism to be focused on stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism as though it's a more fair way of conducting business it's built on this premise of fairness however I believe that it is the opposite of fair because the, the the truly fair thing to do would be to give people back what they have invested in a company and the ones that are actually bought into a company. So you as a person, you as a shareholder, you bought into a company, you spent money into a company hoping that they would give you something more in return. As a stakeholder, you have no actual stake in the success of the company. Whether or not that company succeeds, if you're just some environmental group uh, freaking focused on saving the whales or whatever, and now you're a stakeholder in the conversation because you've been brought to the table because we're doing stakeholder capitalism now, you don't have any interest in the success of that company. So how's that fair? How's that more fair for the shareholders when now all of a sudden the stakeholders are the ones that are benefiting from some sort of thing that the company does that doesn't actually bring value to the ultimate product, to the ultimate service that the company is there to serve. So all this does is shift time, energy, away from the ultimate value being generated by the business, which is fundamentally what is there to serve. It's there to bring value to people. And by focusing on all these ancillary tangential things, it is actually not more fair because the people that actually put in their money, they're the ones that are being screwed over. So how's that fair to them? How's that fair to the people that are actually, and it's not just, 
I hate this uh, talking point of oh, it's just you know the rich are the ones that are invested in stock. No, it's everybody. Freaking teachers unions are are invested in the stock markets, which is uh, as far as I checked, teachers aren't the top one percent, and yet they are just as invested in the markets as anybody else. So this whole shareholder and stakeholder capitalism, I think, is very. Um, a, a, a sketchy thing that's been being done. It's like a bait and switch they're trying to do with this. Because think about it, the 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 stakeholders are just other institutions. So what you're doing is you're benefiting institutions as opposed to shareholders, which are just people, which are just which can be just me as a person. I can be a shareholder. You as a person can be a shareholder. The stakeholders are typically institutions. The stakeholders are communities. The stakeholders, well, of course, that comes down to an individual small as well. government agencies or just government agencies in general are considered a stakeholder. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. So so now all these stakeholders are going to be somehow trying to benefit off of it, off of like the product that's being generated. Meanwhile, you as a shareholder, you're getting screwed over. So I think that this whole stakeholder versus shareholder thing is very uh, sketchy. It's goes away from the core value being generated by the business and if you decrease from the value then that just has so many domino uh, like uh, uh, residual impacts like on a domino scale that we are yeah just uh, like you said we have no idea what the impact is going to be interesting so one thing i i want to try to clarify from from you is the stakeholder versus shareholder uh, switch is this something that's being proposed under the S and ESGs that companies that have a more of a shareholder or a stakeholder um, framework would maybe it's score high, more, score higher on their ESGs. It, it would be possibly? all of them. It would be all. It would cover all of the ESGs because uh, a stakeholder could be somebody like I said, like an environmental group or something. And now, all of a sudden, they are a stakeholder, um, some environmental group, because of how your company is going to do some sort of uh, whatever, you know. So it can, it, and um, I want to actually shift gears towards the governance. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, uh, further to that, but I, I wanted to also focus on the G of the ESGs as well. No, yeah, let's go into the governance side of so things. So on the, on the governance side of things, um, we have certain things like, um, again, referring to the Investopedia article. Um, so some of the things that this Trillium company, again, Trillium being the investment fund, what do they look at when it comes to companies that have high levels of governance? So they, well, these are companies that embrace diversity on their board. They embrace corporate transparency and employs CEO independent of the board chair. So... It comes to how the government operates, or, or sorry, not how the government, how the um, how the corporation operates with regards to its behavior, and uh, more broadly, um, investors may want to know about the company, uh, uh, know that a company uses accurate and transparent accounting methods that, and that stockholders are allowed to vote on important issues. They may also want um, assurances that companies avoid conflicts of interest and their choices of board members don't use political contributions to obtain unduly favorable treatment and of course don't engage in illegal practices no single company may pass every test in every category of course so investors need to decide what's most important to them and do the research i think uh yeah it's really interesting how they say no single part company may pass uh, every test 
why not like you're not you're not allowing them to or i don't know it's just kind of weird how it was phrased um but i i want to highlight this point over here where it says um don't use political contributions to obtain unduly favorable treatment and i think that this is just so ironic and when you think about it it really just highlights the hypocrisy of this whole thing because it says don't use political contributions to obtain unduly favorable treatment so it's talking about governments it's talking about being independent it's talking about not uh having influence from external factors in terms of how you govern your behavior as a company and yet with the whole ESG premise in itself you de facto have to subjugate yourself to these external influences in terms of how you govern your company so in essence by by just by playing this game you have already undercut your argument i, I don't know if that made sense what i was saying there but essentially by just by them doing this whole governance game and playing into this ESG point system, they themselves have opened themselves up to being liable or to being influenced by external parties by virtue of playing this game of needing to meet ESG criteria. And yet they purport themselves to be independent and that is one of the things that leads them to have a high score in terms of their governance category do you see the, the hypocrisy here do you see the just it's it's almost like um what what's the word um contradiction a, the contradiction or just like yeah it, it, the, the paradox almost yeah yeah it's, it's, yeah i just think that's so silly how, how that's done i don't know what are your thoughts well i was just thinking about how for some companies, adopting an ESG, a high ESG score is e much easier than another company. And this is another part yeah. of the uh, part of how it's not not great in terms of uh, fairness. So it's it's like you could be if you are okay if you're a company that has. Uh, that's not in manufacturing, not actually creating many waste streams um, to attain a high environmental score is maybe not going to, likely to not take you as much effort or monetary uh, or expense uh, to achieve versus another company that deals heavily in waste streams based on the nature of of the company. So it's just, and then you can argue, well, those so those ESG companies that are not really doing a whole lot in terms, you know, in terms of uh, generating waste, um, those get grouped into these funds and these, these ones give, are given more money. But then I would ask you, those companies that are generating those higher waste streams, you got to understand what are their value to society. Some of those streams like steel manufacturing, uh, mining, uh, oil and gas, um, and then subdividing all those into the smaller components of them. Those have profound and very important roles in our society, but it's going to be a lot more effort for them to obtain their an ESG score. So, you know, you could see, I just see the, it's easy for a company, a bank to be like, 
we're pro ESG. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, but like, yeah, you're dealing with the movement of money and, and you have a very different operation set up and like your hiring of diversity and based on uh, who's coming out of universities is perhaps more diverse. Um, Like one of the, the, you know, one of the things that engineering uh, has classically had a had a, a long history of of being male dominant and it, that this has changed over the years as more women go into into stem fields but the uh, that still hasn't quite caught up and for what all the reasons you know let's just call it what it is but it just you no know, let's just face the facts of, of there being less um, diversity to select from in those roles you know the, it's just some things are not going to be so because things by um, are less diverse from the start in terms of select uh, selection of your employees, you're going to have harder time meeting maybe internal objectives for these ESG scores if they come down to those type of th- to that that level. Where if you were to do something like um, something socially to be like we we want to have a fifty fifty split of men and women in our workplace or something like that. I'm not sure, you know, all these things come down to what exactly uh, the company is defining to, to meet their ESG scores. But um, my my main point is it's going to be easier from, for some companies to, to, to score higher with, with less cost and less effort than is for others. And that inherently is already making, I see as being a big hurdle for this. Yeah, and what it's going to do to those other companies that maybe it's not as easy to compete on those fronts, they are going to, kind of back to my point, sacrifice their products, sacrifice their service in order to focus on meeting some sort of um, criteria that maybe look good on some sort of ESG thing, but really don't add any value in terms of the product or the service they're trying to create. And so ultimately it takes away and slowly drains the company from their mission and eventually leads it to dying instead of flourishing and growing, which is ultimately what you want. And I think um, one of the funny things that I did actually find is that just thinking about oil companies is that some of these ESG funds um, again, they they link to Alphabet. Alphabet has a whole bunch of companies within it. Some of those companies are focused on investing in uh, Shell, and uh, Shell, <laughs> of course, is a big oil company. But they have uh, investments pertaining to renewable energy and that kind of stuff. So at the end of the day, the oil companies are still. Uh, able to able to get their money funneled into them, siphoned into them through just so many layers of it's like just imagine like all the layers of separation in that has been created in order to funnel the money towards oil companies still. And again, you you have you have an ETF. It's got ESGs. Great, you buy into that. Little do you know, it's got Alphabet. Little do you know, Alphabet has its own funds that it's uh, that are sub companies within Alphabet, and those companies that it's investing in, it's a conglomeration of them, and some of them are gonna be like it's gonna be suspect, man. You're gonna look through a, a huge list of companies. You're not gonna tell me all these companies are somehow ESG friendly, man. It's it's a joke. It's it's a freaking joke. It's just a game for them to siphon more money into their corporations. And that might be the cynical take, but I've seen enough to understand the games that these corporations play. 
and that they don't actually care about these things because if they did, then they would be doing something about, you know, so many things. So many things could be named, but they're not. They're not. They're just not. And they're doing it because it's the fashionable, it's the trendy thing. As I, as I said, more millennials are demanding for their investments to be more focused on these uh, environmental, social governance scores. Meanwhile, what are they paying for? It's the same old shit. Visa, MasterCard, that's what you think of when you have ESGs? Get the fuck out of here, like, uh, that, that just and like I, it, yeah. it, it, well, it just takes like 25 minutes of like googling you know looking into these funds what are the holdings that's all it takes it's not hard to, to figure out what's going on here but meanwhile like I said for me the issue comes when we're gonna have these ESGs actually standardized and the fact of them having them defined that is actually the scary part not having them undefined but having them defined and yeah yeah i I, I want to actually that that segues great into uh an article that i was reading um that came out uh on april 14th of this year Mm -hmm. Uh, this was in the investment executive um media outlet and uh, the title of it was better and more integrated esg investing standards are progressing so the article is specifically talking about um the criticism over the um, the inconsistencies in ESG ratings and assessment criteria, right? And um, I'll quote, let me read something from it. it. Says so: broad international agreement underscores the need for consistency of comparable global ESG standards, but the consensus has not yet. But a consensus has not yet produced a durable, universal, universally accepted formula. And then it goes on to say, so because of that, because we are in this um, early stage where there is there isn't um, uh, a, a defined criteria, which uh, ultimately could, is a in 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 many ways could be a good thing. That not there's that there isn't. What we don't really want is a standardized criteria, but more we want to have more transparency on the criteria uh, across the boards. If there was to be multiple ones developed, you could really kind of get deep into the weeds of how they've uh, how they've established their score. That that I think that transparency is the key. But right now, because they don't have that transparency, the article points out that. Um, there's investors that actually, um, like in the U.S., are primarily selecting ESGs based on, quote, brand recognition of the ETF issuer. And so ETF issuers are like are issuers like BlackRock or uh, State Street or Vanguard. These big companies that are, you know, people realize, oh, yeah, these are high issuers. They, you know, their, their revenues are great at like, all this stuff like if you're just basing it off of brand recognition of your issuer and not af- under like what the ESG is really doing, then it just tells me that again, there's going to be a, like tons of investors that are just doing this at a, like a surf surficial level. Um, I mean, I don't know how, how they established that people were doing it solely on brand recognition, but it's just like, 
yeah you know yeah when you just that, that in itself should tell you everything you need to know when you have like an, uh, them saying like oh black rock etfs are known to have better esgs because of their brand recognition <laughs> like <laughs> if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about esgs like that pretty much sums it up perfectly and if you don't know what black rock is they're one of the giant they're one of the biggest uh american investment firms and they have holdings in a bunch of stuff i don't even know but it's in in, in the in the billions uh, if, if i'm not mistaken if not even trillions, trillions. yeah trillions right Tr- yeah so the, these are the guys that have the good ESGs. Again, it's like you're just creating a way to nicely and neatly funnel money back to the same old people that were getting it the entire time, but you've just repackaged, rebranded it into this whole new thing called ESG ETFs. But you just dig a little bit, do 25 minutes of Googling, it's the same old companies. <laughs> and uh, w- one thing that I want to point out, actually, um, when you when you start to read about this ESG thing and the investments associated with them, they are often spoken of in terms of risk. I don't know if you came across this, but what they um, how how they frame it is that the companies that have low ESGs are maybe seen as more high-risk investments and they bring up something like a BP uh, and how their oil spill led to billions of dollars of loss to shareholders and how risk is ultimately the thing that ESGs allow you to somehow measure, right? And it's, it's, it's very... It's very interesting how they, they phrased it in that way because, of course, we have um, governments which are risk averse. So, uh, you know, governments, they don't like doing things that are risky. They like doing things that are kind of low risk because they don't want liability. They don't want accountability. So when you have now a strategy of categorizing things as being more high risk or being more low risk, you are again filtering out certain things, maybe certain companies, certain projects as though they are too high risk. Oh, wow, this ESG score is way too low. Again, um, we as a government, we are responsible stewards of money and uh, the, the the people, the, the 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 population has entrusted us with the funds. And of course, we're not going to waste it on high risk investments. No, no, no. We're going to do them in the ESG companies that we see are, are low risk. And you can see how the the language and the terminology is being all set to, again, allow companies or sorry, allow governments to start to stipulate these requirements, as you alluded to, when they have their contracts, when they have new projects they have to do, then they will make that a requirement. Oh, what are the ESG rating? If it's too low, it's too high risk. Sorry, we won't do business with you. And again, it just becomes a way of boxing out the little guy, of creating more big government hand in hand with big corporations going back and forth together and uh, the rich getting richer. And when you hear about things like BlackRock being the uh, uh, providing a good ESGs, like, say, uh, I don't know, it's just the same old story. 
it seems to be repeating itself. And it's just so sad to me because, again, when you look at the history of ESGs, there are good things or even how it's being purported there. Theoretically, it could be done in a positive way. But yet again, you see something that does have elements of good uh, at, at its history, at its core ethos but when you see how it's actually being applied when you see how the greasy government and greasy corporate fingers start and greasy um banking fingers start getting mixed into the pot it no longer represents the initial positive intentions that perhaps something like this was initiated with yeah you know it's um kind of goes back to my initial uh, hypothesis or thesis about understanding how financial policy, new financial or policy in general, doesn't even need to be financial, just be like a policy that says, oh, we're going to buy all uh, green vehicles by 2020 and, and then and trying to go, okay, that's the policy. Now let's talk about what is the outcome in in our economic system. And and you definitely you, you on one side of the page you can write all the the pros of 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 this policy. And then on the other, are you really are you really writing all the cons of it? And I I don't even know if we can. A thing that I'm realizing more and more is we can so difficult to really fully appreciate what policy does to to our current monetary system in terms of we know to like we know some things but just the nature of of inflation the nations of changing markets it's just uh it's very difficult to understand the full consequence of these things and i definitely see a trend that when you have um you have a new hot topic, you know, a buzzword, uh, something that's being introduced and that has has power to allocate money to different pots. It's you know, I, it's just natural that companies and governments tend to want to create criteria that has minimal effort to change things that much from the norm. Uh, but then, but it, but as in terms of way things are operated and done, but but allows them to obtain that special mm, title. Let's say it's called ESG. So what what do I mean by this? It's like ESGs and socially um, investing and socially what, what people are trying to do at the the heart of it is fundamentally vote with their dollar, change the world from the status quo to something that is profoundly different and um but we're so I, what i often see is we're so entrenched in 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 the way the status quo right now that um when new ideas come up to to do these uh to to, to change the money flow pot if you're not careful these things really uh uh be, they come into reality but they don't really have that much change power to them they don't have that much change potential anymore if if they just become um this other layer uh that uh that we have to contend with and and that contention if if we don't uh if we don't contend with it then or if we don't push back against it 
we'll just we'll just set up a new set of criteria that make it harder for um, people that truly want to see change even get into the game to get money to to obtain to obtain money. Does that make sense? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, again, it comes down to uh, money and the control of finances is powerful mm-hmm. right and when you are creating mechanisms to siphon money towards specific organizations towards specific institutions that are more conducive towards this particular game that you're playing then that's powerful because now you're moving funds towards specific things one of the companies for example that um I don't know if you knew this, but uh, one of the companies under Alphabet is called X. And when you look up X, it's interesting. What does X do? And when you look up X, X X.company, they are, part of what it says is they they do secret research. Secret research. Oh, interesting. Okay. Secret. So you're investing in Alphabet, who, who is investing in X, who does secret research. This is just like right on there. It comes up right when you Google, Google X, it'll be like, oh, this is a company that does R&D and secret, some sort of secret research or whatever. And it's like moonshot projects that are really going to 10x change the world. You know, it's really visionary stuff. But so again, it's like one of the biggest corporations in the world they're purporting ESGs, which is all about transparency, governance, and yet one of your companies is called X, and you don't even know fully what they do. Like if you, if if you, once you start going deep again, once you start going deeper on this stuff, and you just start seeing the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies, and how uh, the, these essentially these channels are being created to siphon money again as i say from big government to big corporations it really makes you um as somebody who i myself and i think you as well we got into for example studying environmental engineering because we were passionate about trying to maybe make a difference trying to actually do something to uh, not not just talk the talk but actually put our money where our mouths is actually study this shit in depth and actually really not just based off of some articles from freaking the online and some some sort of journals uh, some sort of magazines uh, new york times or whatever we actually went into the books to try to study and understand this thing in depth. And as 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 somebody that is uh, that devoted and that, you could say, passionate about the cause, and then when you see these types of things happening where it's being manipulated and taken advantage of and these giant corporations are just benefiting off of en- environmentalism, off of uh, proper social governance, things that are good values to pursue, but they are, are being applied in just a slimy way, then it's just like, man, I don't know. It just pisses me off. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. yeah me too uh so um one thing i came across because you know throughout this discussion we're talking about uh do we need uh do we need uh, more uh stringent criteria to achieve the desired goal 
or do we just need more transparency in the criteria? And on this topic, I will say that there there, there was a recent um, guidance package published by uh, ca- uh, Canadian Securities Administrators, CSA. Uh, this quite literally just came out this year, January 19th, 2020. And the uh, uh, the the Ontario S- Securities Commission um, put And uh, here's one of the quotes. Um, Interest in ESG investing is on the rise and this enhances, sorry, and this enhanced and practical guidance will play an important role in helping investors make informed decisions about ESG products as well as preventing potential greenwashing, said Lewis, um, hopefully I'm not butchering his last name, Morissette. Uh, CSA chair and president and CEO of the authority uh, of finances. Now, it, when you look at this guidance package uh, that CSA uh, put out, one of the things that um, uh, jumped out at me was, you know, um, when you when you're dealing with guidance, this is uh, this has no legal legal you know, uh, uh, backbone to it. These are, these are best practices and they, um, do not, uh, they're not binding, but what they do, uh, they showed me when I was looking through the different topics, which they, um, were highlighting is they, they were, it was, was that this whole concept of us saying that these are going to be used, um, deceptively you know this this concept of greenwashing or just u- using this term in, in a way that it really truly um it was not meant to be used uh is not just pessimistic it is it is kind of a reality of already like what is going on because you don't start generating guidance documents that talk about like the first thing in the guidance document is t- talking about uh, talking about how um, you can't start using the name ESG if you've got no ESG stuff in there, like in your name, or if you do use, if you use words like sustainability or things that are close to ESG, you need to then outline how it is ESG. And, uh, you know, uh, you can't just start throwing words on them. And, you know, this was something that came around for like food products where it was like, you can't just use the word organic or uh you know, or if you're using the word organic on packaging, you then now legally would be required to show which regulator did you actually uh, have certify your product organic. There's still words out there like natural and even I think grass fed aren't necessarily legally tied to any verification process. So companies could mislead you by putting those on. But like this is the type of thing that that is currently has not been um uh, has not been regulated so it's uh it's not even defining what the metrics are but it's just making sure you you're not like doing the very um like high level deceptive stuff where it's like you're just you're throwing in stuff that makes it look like it is this thing and 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 these are still just at the guidance stage like the 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 guidance documents are just being drafted for canada and they have no legal teeth to them so um i think it's very safe to say that 
our concerns about the deceptive nature of these things are warranted and they're maybe more warranted now than they might be in a couple of years where we're, we're, we're more stuff, uh, we're more legal uh, uh, guidance become uh, gain teeth. But the thing about that is you, I think you can divide this into in uh, into two categories. There's there's the the establishment of like a hard criteria, and and with the problem with a hard criteria is a few people or some sort of stakeholder um, group comes up with the criteria, and this criteria then influences directly your score. And if you don't agree with what is in this criteria, for example, nuclear bad, nuclear good, you could establish this ESG system that is completely, uh, you know, just unfair and bonkers. Um, and so that's one side establishing strict criteria, but there's other ones where you establish guidelines that are just like uh, exactly what I mentioned. You can't use... Uh, uh, you know, uh, the ESG, uh, uh, you know, name in your fund, uh, without properly defining what, uh, what you, what your metrics and stuff are below. And that's, so it's like, I believe that if, if we're going to go down the road of ESGs, a good start is, is, is getting some, some basic ground rules to say, if you're doing ESGs and you're doing this, there's got to be transparency. There's got to be a way to look under the hood and really dig into it so that people that do actually, uh, want to think about how they're putting their money that, you know, uh, how they invest their money and, and they can go and say, I am investing my money in ESG company. And this ENG, if they, if a company does the ESG, they're then showing me, they're being transparent about what they're actually attempting to do. I look through it and go, okay, yeah, they're, do- I like what they're doing with the, the E. I like what they're doing with the S and you like what they're doing with the G. Then you can actually go and invest in that company and and feel better about where your money is going but right now it, it, that has not been established so i think it is fair to say um caution is warranted to anybody investing in esgs that they need to do their homework still it's not as simple as looking at a score maybe that's obvious but my my what I'm trying to bring forward is this stuff is just coming out. Like this is a press release from January 19, 20, <laughs> 2022. Like this is very new. So, um, so are you saying that ultimately we should go towards a direction where we define how, how you can meet the E, how you can meet the S, how you can meet the G? Like, no, no, saying? no. So sorry. What I was trying to say there is I don't think there should be, uh, it should be universally standardized, but I think there should be guidance documents that say uh, clearly if you are communicating yourself as an ESG company, you have to show basically how what you're doing for each of those those categories, and then and then what metric systems you're developing. Because I could see there being like a European model, uh, an American model of what they put down as their core values within those three categories because another thing i was reading is like people were like why did we bundle those three together why do we need to have environmental social and governance bundled together and what does it mean to be dominant in social and low on e and or low on g or what does it mean to be high on e and low on at you know s and g uh, so I, I don't think you know once the genie's out of the bottle we're, we're already you know 
kind of headed down the track. I don't think they're stopping the ESG, and that's what the article kind of said. The, the, the decoupling of ESG is not something that people are really seriously debating, but um, it is just, you know, okay, so... Now who wrote that article? That was, again, from that uh, that first one, the, uh, the uh, Pat uh, Dunaway from the investment executive where, oh. yeah. True, true. And I think he was... I think well, he, of course, he's not going to be biased at all. No, no, of course not. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, you know, without even, without even you know, uh, yeah, uh, going into to the potential biases of, of people writing these articles, it's just, um, I don't see, uh, I see, you know, uh, the ESGs, whether they take off is a whole other thing. The yeah. decoupling of them, I don't know. It's going to be a. It's, it would be a whole different thing because there's already places that are you know um, that are already just focusing on E. You know, there, uh, you would just have to look at the different um, uh, financial advisors out there, and you could find people that were just trying to help you invest your money in in companies that are just looking at environmental issues. Those are out there, of course. There are there's probably ones that look specifically at just social issues too. Those are so out I'm, there. I'm, I'm going to pause it because I got to fucking pee. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think that that guiding document, that guidance document kind of underlies what I was saying just in terms of how the administrative burden is really increasing when it comes to trying to demonstrate how you are meeting ESG criteria, right? So uh, you, were, you, were t- you were saying how essentially there's all these like, different sections that to fill out and have to demonstrate how they're meeting their ESGs and there's like 10 subcategories they have to so imagine you're a company you're just starting out and you want to do the right thing you want to you know demonstrate that you care about the environment you care about social causes you care about transparent governance now in order to play this whole game you need to hire probably just somebody who their entire job is to just assess how your company is meeting these ESG criteria. To rank you, basically. Legit, exactly. So their whole thing is going to be to assess everything that you're doing and trying to formulate it. Okay, this could be the E, this could be the S, okay, this could be the government. And then it just shows you how the the game is just becoming harder and harder to play. And going to the thing that you said about uh, organic, and it's just that's a perfect example of how yes, it's good to standardize the 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 term. However, I have heard from other coffee producers, for example, I, I say coffee because that's one uh, that I was uh, speaking to one of the um uh, one of the local roasters and how he was saying that the whole organic thing has kind of become a bit more of the can you can you fill out the paperwork type of thing and and maybe you have some really good quality stuff uh, but meanwhile it didn't meet this little like criteria and therefore is not considered organic so and you you can imagine how for some okay that's just organic right but it's and, a perfect example it's a perfect example because if you are somebody who wants to say I don't, I, I want to support organic, you will go into the store and if you see the organic and it's certified, you'll get that thing and that's Boom. check. Boom. But there could be another option that actually doing it better than them that hasn't been able to get certified because it is a financial barrier, because it is a tricky thing to do. And 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 really, if you look at some of the organic criteria, we go that's a whole other thing. But it's like you 
as as somebody who just doesn't have enough time to do the research on every little thing, you're going to completely miss those guys. And that's, you know. You got to hire like some, you got to either outsource to some consultant who's going to charge you up the ass to get your regulatory compliance all in order, or you're going to have to somebody, hire somebody internally to take care of that regulatory compliance and so again you're just you're you're paying at least like 60 g's 80 g's just to meet these esg criteria minimum at a minimum and imagine how difficult it was to even come to a standard of what it means to be organic now add the fact of what we're trying to define here environmental social governance how the hell are you going to define what those like there's so many ways that you can go about demonstrating those uh, adherence to those principles as being your values. It's like there is no one way that you can just define and box it in like, okay, this is environmental compliance. This is social governance. And it just really takes away from the, 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 the breath. I feel like the energy of the company and what it's trying to do and, it sucks because, again, it was something that maybe originated from something that was positive, trying to invest money, put your dollars where your put your money where your mouth is. And I believe in that as well. And I try to invest with those things in mind as well. However, when we have this game that's being created and manipulated and now people are being boxed out from being able to take to partake, then you see it's unfortunately not maybe used in the best way the the it, it's it's essentially lost its original intent and it's become just another way of manipulating and outsourcing your thinking essentially to okay they got the ESG score cool i'll go with them and meanwhile you're investing in alphabet alphabet i don't know it's just yeah really really sketchy well i think yeah we covered that topic um in depth uh, so much more to talk about of course it's uh I'm, I'm sure there's gonna be more and more to come uh with regards to esgs so i'm sure we, we will revisit this subject in the future and maybe it might be worth doing something specifically focused on shareholder and stakeholder capitalism because this whole esg thing feeds into that but that could be a whole another discussion of its own um but to, to recap real quick we talked about esgs this episode that represent environmental social governance scores that companies corporations can uh adhere to they can demonstrate in order to showcase to potential investors most of whom apparently seem to be millennials that are interested in investing in companies that adhere to a certain moral social value system this all sounds good but as we discussed, there is a bit of um, tomfoolery, for lack of better terms, in <laughs> terms of how these things are being applied and how some of the funds that purport to be using, um, some of the ETF funds that purport to be using ESGs are actually just investing in some um, giant multinational corporations, which would not be what you would think when it comes to environmental social governance so much more to be discussed thank you guys for listening please take a listen to more episodes on firstprinciplespodcast.com we're available on all social media 
uh, platforms, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, I should say, mostly. Um, but we are available on all podcast platforms, I should say. So um, please go and leave us a five-star review, whether it's Apple, Spotify, YouTube. We appreciate it. Give us a follow over there. Give us a subscribe. And if you would like to donate to us and support our work, please go to firstprinciplespodcast.com. There's a donate button. Hit the donate. Send us a buck or two. Whatever feels good, whatever feels right. If you found value in this, we appreciate anything that you can send us in return. As always, break down from the ground up. From the ground up. Peace. Take care, everyone. Peace out. (music) Peace out.